With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. <laughs> Good morning and welcome to this bright, funny cheery episode of the Black Tuesday podcast. I'm your host, Terrence Biggs, with last night's speech and so much to talk about. We're just going to jump into it. She's the managing editor of Toasted Cheese and one of my good friends, Stephanie Lenz. Good morning, Steph. <laughs> Hi, that's me and my dishwasher again. <laughs> I thought it was done, but apparently it's not. It has things to say. Dishes need to be clean, and it beat beating in the sink. Now, yep. What was your first takeaway from the Biden speech to Congress, uh, the uh, presidential address to Congress? It was great. It was great. I I was surprised uh, my 15-year-old left the cocoon of his room because he specifically wanted to come down and hear the president speak. So it's a good sign that you know a teenager is like, hey, I want to hear what the president says. And then when he hears them, he's talking about lifting kids out of poverty and He's acknowledging that the president has the back of trans folks, and uh, he wants to have accountability in policing and all these amazing things. It was one of the most liberal speeches I've ever heard a president give, especially um, in Congress. I was impressed with the content of it. I could hardly believe I was hearing what I was hearing. What do you think? He spoke with such dedication to his cause and words that echoed and conveyed a sense of strength and calm. Mm -hmm. There was no rhetoric. There was no screaming. There was no calling people names. There was no orange. He, President Biden, took a giant step in trying to, for lack of better terms, unfuck what his predecessor messed up. And the situation the country is still on a really long path, but it's it was good to hear the fact that he had the backs of trans folks because for so long that marginalized community has just been kind of out in the cold. And if we keep it completely honest, and you know we do, mm-hmm. it's not just a Republican thing. It's uh, Democrats have also turned a blind eye to their people in their family, people in the community who are in the trans community. That has to stop. These are Americans who are suffering because of how they were born. Being trans, being a member of the LGBTQ plus community is not a choice. It's how you're born. Like having red hair, being left-handed, being black, it's what you are. Not what you're made, it's what you are. And 
the inclusion, the the sense of community made me smile. And with that smile and happiness comes the we need to start shading people because the first person that I want to talk about is Ted Cruz. He was faking asleep and wanting it over. Yep. It's funny. I'm sure his wife taught him that one. <laughs> it's enough already. I just want to get some sleep. <laughs> yeah, that was 100% fake. You can tell he saw the red light come on the camera and, and pretended to close his eyes. But then Mitt Romney was also drifting. And it was like, you know, your Sleepy Joe narratives, I'm sure they sent out a memo. It's not going to work anymore. I don't think anybody's going to buy the Sleepy Joe thing after the plan of action. Not just the, here's what we want, but also the, and here's how we're going to do it, that was in that speech last night. I think and Sleepy Joe we're done with. Cruz had the temerity to tweet about tax hikes. And this motherfucker <laughs> took a hike to Cancun when his whole state was suffering. Get out of mm-hmm. here. No, no one... No one wants to hear a man with that mullet and that beard talk about responsibility. And he left his dog in the house, which, which makes you a great a restaurant-quality asshole. No, mm-hmm. you, you, you don't get to talk to Raphael. Sit your stupid ass down. As for Willard, Willard had you would think that Willard would be able to prop himself up on the binders of women. Yeah, you'd think somebody shot Rafalka the way that he was acting last night. He refused to applaud for a reason of minimum wage and you know tax hikes on the ultra wealthy. And it's like, well, that's because he is an ultra wealthy person. He's got a car elevator for God's sakes. He's a rich white dude, but he'll sit there and uh, will out his ethnic grandkids. Say, see, you know, <laughs> see, see, I, I can't resist. I have black kids. I have either Latino or black grandchildren. No, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't work that way. Just, just because someone in your family, you know, as I mentioned, black by injection is not a thing, Willard. <laughs> That's not how science works, bro. Now, I want to talk about Tim Scott, old mm-hmm. avuncular Tim and his rural dwelling. I just, Tim Scott is troubling, to say the least, and not just because of his gums, but it's, I'm sorry, the only man that could kiss a woman on top of her forehead and possibly give her a hysterectomy at the same time is scary to me, but it's his message about saying America is not a racist country. Mm-hmm. This is but, the same Tim Scott that said he got pulled over seven times in a single year. And said that he's been called an Uncle Tom and the N-word, but America's not a racist country. Right. What planet – it took – flashback. When I was a kid, my, and I would have to go to my grandmother's house, she'd watch soap operas or her mm-hmm. stories. One of them was yep. The Young and the Restless. There was a guy, Absolutely. Victor Newman, played by Eric Braden. Mm-hmm. He's Eric a cool guy. Braden. Eric Braden tweeted out last night when he's watching Tim Scott, what planet does Tim Scott live on? <laughs> yeah, Eric Braden is a, is a pretty cool dude. He's an, a German immigrant, and he has absolutely no patience for anything on the right. And, like, when this, you know, rise of, you know, next-door Nazism has happened over the last four or five years, 
he has been very outspoken about it. So even if you're not a Y&R fan, go check his feed because it, it's kind of awesome. He's a pretty decent dude. It was like Eric Braden is... I forgot that Eric Braden was still around. I was like, oh, he's alive. Yeah. That's good. Oh, damn, he's Eric Braden. The restless. I, I, I tape Rick and the Restless. Whether I watch it or not, I, you know, it depends on my day. But, um, yeah, he's still on there and still an active character. Victor Newman, mm-hmm. checking in in 2021. And, yeah. <laughs> and yep. it made my point clear that Tim Scott is being used. Like yep. I mentioned last night, they stopped using Subway Token years ago, but the GOP rides Tim Scott like he's a donkey. Do you think Tim Scott is allowing himself to be used, or do you think he doesn't realize he's being used, or something in between? He knows, yeah. because it, it makes him, in his myopic mind, special. Like, mm. he's, quote-unquote, one of the good ones. Ah, so, like, at the cool kid table kind of mentality. Yes, he's like, you know, like, here's this black dude is making friends for all these Republican white folks. Oh, but he's different, though, you know. He's, he's a good one. Kiss my entire brown ass. It, from stem to stern, Tim Scott is pandering to a party of Reagan who are who are bigots. They would call him that word when he's not in the room, or they would make a black joke, and his stupid ass would laugh at it. Mm-hmm. We get petty here, we but no, but on a political level, Tim Scott is dangerous because him. Daniel Cameron in Kentucky, they send the wrong message. They send message to a bigot like, oh, you know, America is deep in racism, but we're black and we're okay with it. The fuck is wrong with you two numbskulls? Seriously. If you had a, if you had an original thought, that motherfucker would die of loneliness. Good Lord. It would just, mm, it's one of those things that irritate me because should know better. You're from South Carolina. You've seen racism all over this country. You've been pulled over seven times, but you don't think that's racist. You claim that you've been slurred by so many people, but you don't think that's racist. The GOP put a black face up there to say that America is not a racist country. I don't know what Tim Scott believes his legacy is, but whatever it was before was trash. Now we cemented the fact that, you know, my guest, as we can't say it because she is above us, I'll say it. You are somebody's boy. You are somebody's little errand Aaron runner. You carry the water for people that have made it their life's mission to suppress our votes, to keep us this way, to make sure that our voice is unheard, but you said it's not racist. With Love in my heart, a song in my brain, and hands that can be caught. Tim Scott needs to fuck himself, just because somebody has to. But he is the absolute worst. Now, when we return, we have even more reaction to this nonsense. You are listening to the Black Tuesday podcast on the FBC radio network. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. We are back with the Black Tuesday podcast. Terrence Biggs, Stephanie Lentz. Stephanie, we need to talk about Jamal Bowman because like Tim Scott, but differently, mm-hmm. Jamal Bowman delivered the progressive response. Now, Jamal Bowman is a registered Democrat, so he literally gave a Democratic response to a Democratic president in front of a Democratic majority Congress. Mm-hmm. If there is a Department of Redundancy Department, Jamal Bowman is the CEO. Make it make sense. I cannot figure that out. I saw the name um, trending. I think you had tweeted something about the horseshoe with Tim Scott and Jamal Bowman. And I was like, "Who? who's that? And then I found out he belongs to some, uh, like, what's the name of the organization that he was supposed to be representing? American Working Families. Working that's it. Families? Working Families Political Party. I'm like, no, that's not a political party. It may be a caucus, but it, a political party it is not. You know, we've got the Green Party, the Libertarian Party, Republicans and Democrats. And it's like you're a Democrat. You're, you've got the D behind your name, and you're going to give, like, a rebuttal to one of the most liberal speeches that was ever given on the floor of Congress with a lot of the things that the far left wants, maybe not to the level that they want them, but, you know, extended family leave and stuff like that are some pretty far left ideas, you know, when you consider the whole political spectrum. And you're going to get up there and say, oh, that's not enough, or I don't like it, or whatever it was that he said. I had turned it off because there was a giant monster movie over on TCM that I'd rather watch. But, um, yeah, I was like, one, who is this guy? And two, what is this supposed to be? I was completely lost when I read about it this morning. And I was like, well, it it can't be that consequential because it just seems like someone basically, you know, getting on Facebook and putting up their opinion of whatever just happened. It, it Was it carried by networks? Was it? I mean, I less, completely missed it. It was. Less than a thousand people watched it, apparently. <laughs> and... I tweet out a picture of seafood and Jamal Bowman. One title said prawn, one title said pawn. It's <laughs> it's sad because, like you mentioned, there this was such a liberal speech where even though it might not be what the way left, the unwashed left, think that they should be receiving right now, it was a giant spin in that direction or a progressive direction and it just 
it's tantruming. It's straight up tantruming. And as a freshman congressman, he should know better. He should, but he doesn't. Like, this seals his fate. He's had to go look at the Congressional Black Caucus, and he has to go stare Maxine Waters in the eyes. He has to go mm-hmm. stare, hell, he has to go stare Hakeem Jeffries, yeah. who, who's probably going to be, if the Democrats hopefully maintain control of the House, the next Speaker of the House. He has to go look at him in the eyes, and and Jeffries will probably be calm about it. And but in his mm-hmm. mind, like you know what, the fuck are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Well, they're both from New York, right? Uh huh. So they know. So they run the same circles, and chances are they will cross paths, and it won't be pleasant for Rep Bowman. Yeah. I want to talk about. I wouldn't want to cross tracks with Andy Maxine if I were him, for no, sure. Cause, no, because she is. She may be eighty, but she looks like she still grabs somebody and starts smacking them about the head, neck, and face. But mm-hmm. she looks. Like I want to talk about time. this racist Vienna sausage known as Stephen Miller. <laughs> this is what he wrote, or tweet, I should say. It is striking how tedious and unoriginal the rhetoric and Biden's speech was. Also, no outreach, no bipartisanism, no surprises, no warmth. A lifeless and dry address. Stephen Miller just got married, and I'm guessing that his wife probably wrote that last part, but we're going to stick to the politics part of this. How does someone who has spent better part of four years trying to demonize the Democratic Party and no outreach, calling people various slurs, you know, shithole countries and implementing racist policies, accuse anyone of a lifeless speech? Like, I would rather have a calm speech full of information and possible policy changes than firebrand type nonsense that is just all bluster, like all all sizzle, no steak. And it's with Stephen Miller, all you know, all bald, no class. What gives this man the nerve? Well, if he's going to talk about rhetoric, he needs to tape and listen to himself because he's not good at rhetoric. Um, He's good at whipping people up and he's good at choosing words that can whip people up. But for rhetoric, for things that kind of stick in your mind and things that are um, good at getting points across, not really. I mean, the stuff he wrote for Trump was basically just a a version of Trump where he could just stand up there and scream. It was Mussolini-ish the stuff that he used to say and, and um, that Stephen Miller wrote. Um, lifeless and dry, um, you know, if, if lifeless to him means that you're not screaming about um, the, you know, America burning all around you like he did in the inauguration speech, okay, I'll take lifeless. There was never any warmth in a Donald Trump speech. Um, I don't know what surprises he expected to give. Um, that's not really what the speech was about. I mean, did they want him to stand up there and give out cars like Oprah? I mean, you know, what what surprise are we supposed to, to get in an address to Congress? And then outreach and bipartisanship? No. That's, that's also not what this was about. But it's not like, I mean, if you can't say that lifting children out of poverty and raising the minimum wage are 
good for everyone across the board, then, you know, you're shooting your own bipartisanship in the foot. That's, you know, everyone should be for living wages for all Americans and increased health care and family leave and stuff like that. Everything that's going to strengthen families and make, you know, just a better community. And if you say that's not bipartisanship and, and that's not outreach, then that's on you. So Stephen Miller, you know, at least dogs like Vienna sausages. No, nobody likes Stephen Miller. I, I find it very hard to believe if his wife even likes him. So it's like that uh, old Sara Lee commercial. No one, <laughs> uh, nobody doesn't like Sara Lee. No yeah. one fucking can't stand Stephen Miller's stupid ass. <laughs> when we return, <laughs> when we return from break, we will delve into. Municipal nonsense as involving a police shooting. You are listening to the Black Tuesday podcast on the FPC radio network. We are back with the Black Tuesday podcast. Terrence Biggs, Stephanie Wins. Stephanie, when we look at the shooting of Andrew Brown, there was a there was a ruling that I just I don't know. It's the media petition for the body cam footage to be released. As you know, Andrew Brown was in his driveway. He tried to escape. He wasn't pre- he wasn't presenting a threat. He was shot in the back in the back of the head by sheriffs. And it was ruled that the media pe- the, the petition has been denied. For lack of a term, let's kind of parse this out quickly. Yes, it was a drug it was a drug warrant. Not saying that, in, you know, not saying that Andrew Brown led a sterling life. This is not really a description of his previous activities. But when he left this earth, he wasn't hurting anyone. Mm-hmm. Why do you think, even with police body cam footage, it's so difficult for the public to access it? Something that struck with me from the first time I read about this was that um, it was when the family was trying to get a viewing of the police body cam footage. And it was kind of a throwaway line in almost everything that I read about it, and it was that they needed to have time for them to be able to edit the video. And I was like, okay, well, I understand if they want to edit it because you don't want to actually see his death or you don't want to see the aftermath of his death. That's kindness to to take that kind of stuff out but if they're going to edit the video why are you putting the the people who are let's just call it what it is the bad guys in the video how did they get to edit it how do they get to choose what's shown and what's not so i'm hoping that what might have happened is that the judge might have said well if you're going to put out an edited version of this video then that's not going to happen we're going to get the unedited footage, and and that can go out to the media. And you know, with the uh, portion of his of his actual death, and you know, any pictures of his body and stuff, that could be edited out. I think, and you wouldn't lose the narrative. But I'm I'm hesitant to say, you know, let's allow the police to edit this video and then send it to the media, because then the media, who will also put their own spin on it, has a piece of edited footage. So I would like to know what the editing was about and why it was edited 
and you know what's taken out and what are we seeing and what aren't we supposed to see and then i'd like to know why the judge said no because if it, if all they took out was the graphically violent portions of the video then i want to know why the judge said no you we can't see it yet and i have a feeling it might just be because they don't want people to take to the streets which they should rightfully do and we should probably be doing every single day at this point um so I, I'm giving them a little leeway on it, just until I can get more information. But chances are good it's just a case of no, we don't want people to riot. It's legal, not legal, but it's court-sanctioned crowd control, basically. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to your point, you hit the nail on the head. If people see the actual uncut footage, they're going to be upset. I'd be upset. I'd yeah. be pissed. I'm pissed now. It it's yeah. shouldn't be trying to pump lead into somebody the back of somebody's skull. I just don't understand yeah. that. It's one of those things that there could have been another way. Mm-hmm. And I don't like the fact shooting in the back of a or shooting somebody in the back in the back of the head. That that means that and, and Andrew Brown at that time wasn't. Mm-hmm. A threat. Mm-hmm. It's tiring. tiring. If, if the FBI is involved, and I believe that they are, do you think that it'll come out like a federal judge is going to say, send that video out? I would hope so, but there's that gnawing feeling in the back of my mind that because Trump tried to throw all these judges in there, that they might get like mm-hmm. a Trump judge. It's possible. And I think you have to root these people out. And. Mm-hmm. Whatever Andrew Brown's family decides to do, be it legally in this case, it should not be questioned. And those police that are involved should never, ever wear the badge, mm-hmm. possibly serve jail time. And the sheriff's office needs to pretty much empty out the bank account for these folks. Now, turning to from the sad to the absurd NRA, back in 2013, there's been a video now surfacing of NRA CEO Wayne LaPierre and his wife Susan. They went to Botswana mm-hmm. to, fill, to hunt elephants. And there's, there's footage of Wayne and there's footage of Susan, like, cheering him on. Like, yeah, you know, like being the wrinkliest cheerleader ever, just, like, cheering for her man, you know, to actually take down an elephant with a gun to kill him, to kill this innocent elephant. Mm-hmm. To me, it signals the convictional impotence of Wayne LaPierre. Yes, you're the head of the area. I get it. You're a gun guy. But do you really need footage of this? Like, what does this serve? Does this, like, peak an interest? Is it visual Viagra? Yes. Like, you you yep. murdered an elephant for nothing. Like, it's not for the meat. Mm-hmm. Ivory trading, I think, is illegal. Mm-hmm. This was for jollies. You shot an animal for jollies. Well, they did use its feet for stools. And they took the tail. One day, I would like the largest dog, probably a 
I don't know, St. Bernard to use Wayne LaPierre as a stool. Or That'd just put stool on Wayne LaPierre. E- either or. Mm-hmm. It's... Yeah, either way. I don't get it. Like, they brought a camera... F- they had a camera go with them to Botswana. Mm-hmm. And, and I just... the camera crew got footage of him not being able to properly use a gun. Mm-hmm. And we've been talking about performative theater and some of this stuff, and it's like, it's one thing for somebody to, you know, like like Ted Cruz pretending to go to sleep and stuff. This is a guy who's running the NRA who honestly doesn't know how to use the product that they're a lobbyist for. And it's like, well, he obviously, I mean, if he goes out to the shooting range, does he take this rifle? And if so, how? I mean, he was, and then he, his first shot, which was ill-advised, they told him not to do it, and he did it anyway. Didn't It took the animal down, but it didn't kill it. And then they're telling him, they bring him over, have him shoot point-blank range at the kill place where the guy indicates that he's supposed to kill him, and he still can't get it. There's a Monty Python sketch called um, Upper Class Twit of the Year, where the Monty Python crew is running around trying to prove that they're the biggest asshole, uh, upper-class asshole that there is. And one of the things they have to do on this obstacle course is they have to shoot a rabbit that's been tied to the ground. And the announcer says, we had to do it that way because it's only a one-day event. (laughs) That's what I'm thinking of. He's an upper-class twit who doesn't know how to properly hunt. And when he does hunt, he has to go to Botswana to have an elephant basically placed in his lap he doesn't know how to do a kill shot on on this creature. When he's instructed on how to do it, he still isn't capable of doing it. His wife does it, and then another person in their hunting party does it. Then she runs over, cuts its tail off, waves it in the air, and says that it's her kill. <laughs> I mean, these are ridiculous people. Like They're, what, they're crazy. What are, what are vacations like that are not hunting for a lot of years? Is this... Let's you know. Let's take a let's take a, a voyage, if you will. Yes. Can you imagine old Wayne in was it Susan? At, Susan. Yeah. I don't know Caesar's Palace in Vegas. Like, <laughs> does Wayne strike you as the kind of guy that would walk the strip with a fruity drink in his hand? You know, kind of staggering and going from buffet to buffet. I think he would get in front of a slot machine and not know where to put the the coin. And then when he did push it, he'd he'd push the the slot lever. He wouldn't know how to do it. And then she'd come over, she'd pull the slot, and and just run around saying that she won if two coins fell out. I'm trying to imagine them at Disney World, like chasing the characters around. Like chasing characters around and trying to attack them, or like Knott's Berry Farm, or like Mm -hmm. Six Flags. I just, this is a man who has spent his entire life around guns that he doesn't know how to use one. Yeah. It just shows you how completely performative this is. They are, they claim to be a lobbying group. Well, they claim claim to be a Second Amendment, you know, uh, supportive group. What they really are is a lobby group for arms and munitions manufacturers, and they can't even do that right. And people keep throwing money at them because the Republicans keep pushing this narrative of how Democrats are going to come and take all your guns away. And it's like they're not even representing your interests. If you read the the article that came out, I think was it in the New Yorker, um, 
it was about how partially also about the lawsuit that they're facing right now, the bankruptcy and stuff, and how he has to get fancy suits. And all of his denials about how, oh, he only wears the suits for NRA things, and uh, the guy who used to head the NRA before him suggested that he get better suits. And it's like, so it's really not about the Second Amendment bolstering or education or, you know, having, I don't know, like let's say, I know in uh, Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts they offer like gun safety training and you can get a badge or a patch or something and they do it at some camps. You know, they're not sponsoring stuff like that. You think that if you're a Second Amendment group, that's what you'd be doing. Or you'd be, you know, sponsoring gun safety or buybacks or, you know, offering free lockers for people or something. But that's not what it's about. It's a big grift with a certain thing stamped on it, and we're supposed to all just be like, oh, well, that's the NRA, and we're all whipped up about it, and they're all whipped up about it, and as long as they keep us fighting with each other, we're looking the other way about how they're using their money. The Attorney General's looking into the NRA, for God's sake. Merrick Garland. Merrick Garland is not here for nonsense right now. Uh, Merrick Garland is slapping people around, and you, you love to see it. Yeah. Now, one of the things that possibly should be looked into is pandemic hustling, where somebody will buy, during this pandemic, people have hoarded things and be selling them at exceptionally high value. Like, an example, one couple sold $12,400 of Walmart instant soup or peddling boxes of dresses and things like that, just basic stuff like that. Like, people are making this medical emergency profitable and there's a special spot in hell for them how vast is it and why should we condemn them for it because I think it's dead ass wrong I think it's really no different from war profiteering um, it, you know we're all suffering everybody you know has their own battle no matter what it is everybody's going through something right now and yeah, I get where they're coming from. Um, if they say that, you know, I can buy this at a low price, I can sell it at a high price, that's just capitalism. Well, that's not exactly what we're talking about. We're talking more like, you know, product flipping. Like when, you, like a year ago, you couldn't even find hand sanitizer on Amazon or a bottle of Lysol, and someone is selling a can of Lysol for $15, $20. You know, that's not the same thing as... Just plain old, you know, buy low, sell high. Exactly. Um, there's something abusive about it, and you know, it just adds to everybody else's problems that that are going on right now. So, you know, it's it's kind of a a mixed bag of what people were doing. You know, with it was food, it was clothing, it was all kinds of stuff from from the article in the Times, the L.A. Times. But um, yeah, I. Some stuff people were selling at a low markup, but some people were selling stuff at thousands of percentages of markups. It's just crazy. It's it's sad when you watch folks that are doing this and then they have that gleeful look on their face. Like, mm-hmm. this pandemic has killed over a half million people. And yeah. it's it's the worst. It is, it is the absolute worst. And it is... 
it's completely sad to sit there and watch, and it's completely sad to sit here and, uh, and understand how people can be this evil. Mm-hmm. Now, as we transition, one of the funny tweets that you have tweeted in, in the last couple of days is the pen clicking. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Expl- explain it to me and explain like it just it's a habit like explain what that is it was um it was a well-intentioned uh thing I, I forget who it was that tweeted the original it's like basically a friendly reminder to everyone please stop clicking your pen and so i retweeted and i said my autistic ass click 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 i'm a big clicker Same. and it really is hard for me not to click pens and i know it annoys other people and i tried not to do it i also pop gum and snap gum i love it but I know that other people hate it, so I try not to. Um, I can say more than half the time when we've talked, I've had a fidget cube, and it's pretty silent, so I can mess with it. But um, if you're a pen clicker and you really need to click and you don't want to annoy people, I recommend getting a good fidget cube. But, yeah, that's that's what was going on with the clicking. Um, as my son has said many times, if he doesn't like noise, unless it's his own noise, then it's fine. For me, it's, I mean, I... I'm an old school writer where I don't, when I write something, I write on paper first, like pen mm-hmm. and paper. And I, I'm the king of notebooks mm-hmm. and I don't use a click pen to write, but I use a click pen in, like in my left hand. As I'm, as I'm writing something with my right hand, just mm-hmm. okay. I'm just going to sit there and click this pen while I'm, I'm using my other pen to write. And it's just, it's calming. It's just a thing. It's yeah, like, leg, like leg bouncing. I'm a yeah. leg bouncer. Like I'm sure you couldn't hear that. So like you can hear it go in my chair go, creak, 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 creak. Because I'm like, <laughs> it's a habit, and yeah. one of those things that it's me. Now, mm-hmm. before we end, we we needed the movie of the week. Oh okay. Um, I watched a movie this week that I recommend everybody, and it's brand new. It's Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. It's on Netflix, and if you haven't seen it, go take a look. It's really really good. It's the movie that Chadwick Boseman was nominated for an Oscar for Best Lead Actor for, um, and also stars uh, Viola Davis, who's phenomenal in it. What happens in it is, um, well, it's an August Wilson play, and what happens in it is um, Ma Rainey is a blues singer, played by Viola Davis, and she is in the South in the opening, kind of has like a a tent and people are paying to get in and listen to her sing, that kind of thing. Um, so she, and it's in the 1920s, I think 27. So she's going to Chicago to record another album with these uh, two guys who have recorded her albums before. And basically the entire movie, except for the little bit at the beginning where you see the situation she's coming out of, is about the band and her and her lover and her nephew coming to Chicago to this studio to record this album. But what it's about is a lot of stuff. It's about her being in a place where she has power. Like if she wants to stop the recording session because she insists she has to have a cold Coca-Cola, the recording session stops. Um, it's about um, it's about race. It's about music. It's about um, like it, it's a very American story. It's really cool. And Chadwick Boseman gives some monologues and just some general performance that is just out of this world. I haven't seen The Father with Anthony Hopkins yet, but um, I really want to. And I have a feeling that the only way 
that Chadwick Boseman would have lost this Oscar was because Anthony Hopkins was just so powerful in the part he has. Um, so if you haven't seen it, it's over on Netflix. It it goes by like nothing. It's only an hour and a half in the first place. But it's a character study set in pretty much a single setting. So, you know, like it's based on a play. It's not going to go anywhere. And it's not too heavy that you will be down the rest of the day, but there's dark stuff that happens. And it's also got a lot of light stuff and funny stuff. So um, I really recommend going over to see that. It, I enjoyed the time that I spent with it. Now, one day I think we should do like a a week like a weekly movie or a monthly movie list of if we write down the the, the movie recommendations because my email is buzzing. Like, what was the one that she recommended on this day? I'm like, oh, now I'll go back and listen. But we will. I have a letterboxed list I'm keeping. See, I'll I'll put it up on Twitter. I'll pin it as my pinned tweet. I had it before, but um, I am keeping track of everything, whether it's just a movie we mention or one that either one of us recommends. The National Chairwoman of the Fuck Around and Find Out Caucus. Stephanie Lynn, thank you so much for joining us on the Black Tuesday Podcast. My pleasure. Have a great day. Have a good one. This has been another episode of the Black Tuesday Podcast. Be good to yourselves. Be good to each other. Don't use ketchup. <laughs>